Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church. Uh, whether you're from Dream Center or the Grace Place, we want to welcome you today. Isn't it so awesome that churches are coming together in the city? I am so excited about this collective partnership. I truly believe that this makes the heart of God. I mean, I just feel like God smiles at this as as uh, COVID has done so many things. It's left churches homeless. It's caused churches to rethink the way they're doing things. But God is also doing something so beautiful in this city. He's uniting churches together, and he's making us realize that we truly need one another. Um, you know, we're better together, and I truly believe that. So uh, whether you're watching as a Dream Center church member or, or a Grace Place member, um, one thing is for sure, God God is going to speak to you this morning through His Word, because God is faithful. Um, in the passage we're going to look at today, uh, the Old Testament prophet Elijah just uh, won a victory over 450 uh, prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in one of the more famous stories that you'll find in the Old Testament. Israel at this time in their history is under the rule of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and they were involved in idol ver- uh, worship and very vile, evil sin. Uh, the name Baal, uh, whom the king and queen imposed worship on all of Israel, uh, literally means master, owner, and possessor. That's what the word Baal means. Worship of Baal involved extreme sexual immorality and even child sacrifice. Um, the devil does not get pleasure from you simply sinning from time to time. He wants to. He wants. Uh, he he wants sin literally to own you to master you and possess you, and he will not stop in your life until he accomplishes that. So the prophet Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a test of the gods, okay? Both he and the prophets of Baal set up an altar with an animal sacrifice on it to see which god would answer by fire and consume the sacrifice, from morning until the evening sacrifice, the, the prophets of Baal cried out to their God. They even cut their, their skin and they bled and they, they, did, they pulled out all of the stops for their God to hear them. And if you look at the story in 1 Kings 18, Elijah starts mocking them, says, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe your God's on the, uh, in the bathroom. Uh, and he just mocks them because they, they try all of these different things with no success, nothing. And uh, you know, you probably know how this ends. Elijah calls on Yahweh and he answers with fire and consumes the offering. God answers with fire. Sound familiar? Uh, when this happened, the idol worshiping people of Israel all fall on their faces, repent and declare that the Lord is God. There's a moment of revival that happens right then and there, as the God of fire comes and consumes the prophet Elijah's sacrifice. And then, get this, Elijah executes all 450 prophets of Baal right there on the spot. What I failed to mention before is that Israel, because of their idolatry and sin, they were also in the midst of a three and a half year drought. 
Uh, and here's where we pick up the story. First Kings chapter 18, starting with verse number 41. And it says this, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Elijah heard it before he saw it. Elijah heard the sound of the rain before he ever saw any rain. Prophetic people often hear things in the spirit before they actually come to pass. He knew in his spirit that something was coming. He knew in his spirit that the drought was going to end. Now, let, let's continue reading verse 42. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Verse 43, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Verse 46, the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. You hear about rain and drought all throughout Scripture. And the spiritual metaphor of rain often represented God's blessing, while the spiritual metaphor of drought often represented the judgment of the Lord. And I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but God shows up again through fire and a cloud, just like he did to the Israelites in the wilderness. He's, he shows up in fire to consume the altar. Then uh, as the servant goes and, and looks for rain, he sees a cloud as large as a man's hand in the sky. And as I think about this scene between Elijah and his servant, I see the idea of perseverance coming through. Uh, if Let's look at verse 43 again. Uh, Elijah says, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. Can I just be real for a moment? If I were the servant here, I would be absolutely annoyed with Elijah. They've been in a drought for three and a half years, and the skies are bright blue with the Middle Eastern sun bearing down on them, right? And Elijah tells his servant to go look toward the sea. He comes back and tells Elijah, the sky is still blue, the sun is still shining, it's still hot, and we're still in the middle of a drought. And, and, and Elijah says, go again. So the servant goes and then comes back with the same answer. And this happens seven times. Elijah tells him to go back seven times. Perseverance is a vital part of the spiritual life. Our growth and maturity as believers always involves being a persevering people. The definition of perseverance is this, a steady persistence in a course of action, a purpose, especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. The theological definition of persistence is continuance in a state of grace to the end, leading to eternal salvation. 
the scriptures speak a lot about persevering and enduring to the end, right? Um, Galatians tells us, don't grow weary in doing good. In due time, in due time, you will reap a harvest. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The the Christian walk, the Christian life, man, it is, it's a battle of endurance. It, it's a battle of, of, of getting knocked down and getting back up and not losing hope in Jesus because hope is the anchor for our soul. Perseverance is so important because life throws us so many curveballs. Life is not easy. It's not a piece of cake. Some some people believe that as soon as you come to Jesus, his main goal and job for our lives is to make our lives more comfortable, more convenient, and easier. But that's just not true, right? Um, we, 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 don't, we live in a fallen world. There are obstacles. There are challenges. There is so much brokenness in our world. We are broken people living in a broken world. There are things that have happened to us that were completely out of our control that have deeply wounded us. There are things that didn't go our way. Jesus even told us that in this life, we will have trouble. Most things in life don't happen instantaneously. It takes perseverance and it takes endurance and it takes persistence. That's just the, that's just the truth. It, it was Aristotle who said, well begun is half done. Well begun is half done. It's great if you start out well, but the reality of, of what is truly valuable and what's truly successful is how you finish. Not how well you begin, it's how well you see it through. In this story, there were three things about perseverance that we, we see. Um, the first thing is Elijah had to persevere in prayer. The prophet Elijah had to persevere in prayer. In verse 42, uh, it, it says, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Elijah climbed up a mountain to pray. I've climbed a mountain in Mexico twice before, and it took an enormous amount of perseverance and endurance. It took us about four hours to walk up this mountain. We, we took a missions trip to Mexico, and there were some um, neighborhoods, some villages that we were ministering to that were up on the top of the, this mountain. It took us about four hours to climb up this mountain. People were throwing up because of elevation sickness. People were uh, almost fainting because of dehydration, just exhaustion. It was intense, right? It was uh, super intense, and it took a lot of perseverance. It took a lot of endurance. It took a lot of strength. Uh, people were getting blisters on their feet, all sorts of things. It was just an intense journey up this mountain. But we are told here that when Elijah prayed, he put his face between his knees. He didn't just, it was it, the, the, the author of, of, of this passage specifically put in there that he put his head between his knees. He didn't just stand and pray. He didn't even just kneel and pray. He didn't lay and pray. He put, he bowed down and put his face between his knees. This was a sign of earnest prayer. Elijah was earnestly praying and believing for the drought 
to end. And each time the servant came back and said he saw nothing, Elijah told him to go back and check again, and he started earnestly praying again. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. James chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Persevering prayer is trusting that God is faithful to his promises, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, even when we're not experiencing it. Persevering prayer is trusting that God is faithful to do what he said he was going to do. Persevering prayer is not giving up on what you know God wants to do. Persevering prayer is praying even when you don't feel anything, even when you don't feel God, when things are going well and when things are not going well, pray regardless. I've heard so many stories of people coming back to the Lord after walking away from him for years and even decades, and 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 they trace it back and they thank their mothers or their grandmothers because they persevered in prayer and they prayed faithfully for that. It's all, it always seems to be mother or grandmother that... that that pray. That's what. That's who it always seems to be. That that when someone uh, is away from God and they come back to the faith, they always point it back to man, my mom or man, my grandma. She prayed for me all these years and would not would not let go of that. And uh, even in my own life, uh, in my teenage years, I went through some very rebellious times. And um, uh, my room was in the basement of our house, and we had a I had a window in in my basement, and so I would sneak out at night, and I would think, man, that I got one over on my mom and dad, and and uh, that that I I had the whole night free. But every time I would sneak out of the house, my mom knew intuitively she could be she could be sleep for hours, but if I left that house, she would wake up, and my mom she would pray for me for hours while I was out doing God knows what partying, doing all sorts of sinful stuff. My mom was praying for her son for hours and hours and hours. And when she knew I was back home, then she could go to sleep. But she used that time to pray for her son. And now I am saved. And obviously it was the grace of God. But I also believe that God answered my mama's prayers because she persevered in prayer. Elijah believed with all of his heart that God was going to end the drought. And he was bound and determined to pray through. Persevering prayer is praying through. Regardless of our feelings, regardless of what we're seeing, we know God is doing something. We know God is up to something. We're going to pray through. So point number one is that Elijah had to persevere in prayer. Point number two is Elijah's servant had to persevere in submission. The servant probably thought to himself, my master has gone off rocker. He is crazy. He is insane. He has just completely lost it. He won this victory with 
with the prophets of Baal and, 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 and he's just lost it completely, right? It, 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 the, the servant probably thought to himself, it is just not in the cards for it to rain today. I'm sure he was frustrated that Elijah kept telling him to go back and check. And he kept seeing the same thing, would come back and go back to check. I'm sure he was convinced that Elijah had missed God. On the, I'm sure he was like, my master has been very accurate in his, in his prophecies up till now. But I think, I think he may have missed God on this one. But he submitted to what his master asked him to do and went back not once, not twice, not three times. But he went back seven times times according to the word of his master. There will be times when either God or someone whom God has placed as a leader in your life will ask you to do something that you think is crazy, or you might even think is the wrong decision for you. But at the end of the day, you might have to just say, I don't know why God is doing this, but I'm going to submit to his will. I don't know why my leader is asking me to do this. I, I'm not saying if it's sin. If it's sin, you don't do it, obviously. But it, <laughs> I, but if it's not outside of sin, my my, you know, my leader is asking me to do this. I don't understand it. I think I could do it better. I think I know better. But you know what? I'm going to trust them on this one. And ultimately, I'm going to trust God because He puts leaders in place. Submitting to God's process in our lives takes perseverance. Okay, because it often looks like there's a better way than the process that God is taking us through. It often looks like there's an easier way, that there's a better way, that that uh, there's a more comfortable way. And that's why it takes perseverance, because God never takes us on a process that's predictable. I've never heard anyone say, that my life following God is exactly what I planned it to be. No, God's ways are higher than our ways. And he sees things that we cannot see. And I will say this, we would pick the process God picked for our lives if we knew what God knows, right? But because we're finite beings and we don't know what God knows, we often question where God is taking us and how God is taking us to that place. Listen to what Paul says about perseverance in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In the Christian life, suffering plus Christ produces perseverance. Perseverance plus Christ produces character. Uh, and, and, and a better translation for character, for this word character, would be proof or proven character. One commentary says this Greek word was used of testing metals to determine their purity. In other words, the testing of the metals did not create the purity. It just proved that there was purity there, right? And so suffering and trials are what God uses in our lives for us to see what's already inside of us, okay? Character plus Christ produces hope or a confidence that God is working through what I'm going through to mold 
and shape and form me into what I'm supposed to be. And so while we're going through this process that God is taking us on, oftentimes he'll take us through the fire. Oftentimes he'll take us through uncertainty. Oftentimes he'll take us through uh, 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 situations and circumstances where there is pressure in our lives. But that pressure is showing us what is inside of us, but we can only see what the Spirit of God is forming and shaping inside of us if we have perseverance and if we will endure through those difficult moments. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 kind of echoes what Romans says. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness, it means the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Endurance. Endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus to wait on God while simultaneously persevering in the world. That's what this word steadfastness that James uses means here. In the book of Philippians, Paul counts everything he accomplished and achieved before Christ as a loss. And here, James is telling us to count all of the trials, all of the difficulties, all of the things that we're going through. He tells us to count all of those things we face as joy because of what those things are producing inside of us through the Spirit of the Lord. The word count that James uses here is a financial term, and he is essentially telling us to count as a positive or a gain to our net worth those things the world would consider a financial hit. He's saying, consider it joy. Count it in the net gain in, in your, when it comes to your net worth when you go through a trial, when you are persecuted for your faith. When, 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 when something doesn't go your way, when an enemy says something about you that is not true, uh, when, when someone makes fun of you because of your faith, when, when someone mistreats you because of your faith, count it as joy because it is producing something that the world can't take away inside of you. So point number three now, my final point is this, um, the servant had to persevere in small beginnings, right? Not only did the servant have to persevere in submission, he had to persevere in small beginnings. The servant, if you notice, he didn't see a huge cloud. The sky, when he went that seventh time, the sky didn't suddenly all just turn black right away. It, 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 there wasn't a hurricane that was coming as the servant went back. What the servant saw was... The, a cloud the size of a man's hand that was rising from the sea. That's what he saw, a small cloud. Talk about a letdown, right? Elijah has his face between his legs, praying his heart out. He keeps sending his servant back out to check on the weather. And finally, after seven times, going from his master back over to the place where he was checking, back to his master, back to that place, finally, he goes back out there, and what does he see? He sees a cloud the size of a man's hand. What a letdown. What do you do when God gives you a big dream, but all you see is small progress? 
What do you do when you have this huge vision, but you only see a small incremental fulfillment of that vision? What do you see or what do you do when when you feel called to do something big, but then you're taken into a season of, of obscurity when no one sees you, no one notices you? No one asks, is asking you to do anything. No one's promoting you. You're, you're, you're being passed over by the promotion to other people. What do you do when that happens to you? When, when things don't happen as fast as we envisioned or as big as we dreamed, we can get discouraged, right? The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. We can become disappointed. We can become disillusioned. We can start to get frustrated and even start to doubt God's plan for our lives. We have to remember that God is more interested in who you become than what you do. He's more interested in who you are becoming than what you're doing for him. God develops, prepares, and shapes us through small beginnings and is working on our behalf, right? Um, when my family and I moved to New York five years ago, um, I was convinced that we were going to launch the church and it was going to absolutely explode. We weren't going to have room for, for all the people that were going to come through the doors. We're going to have to go to multiple services right away. And guess what? That did not happen. It did not happen in the way that I envisioned it happening. All I saw instead was a cloud the size of a man's hand. I was expecting this huge rain, but all I saw was a cloud the size of a man's hand. Our church never blew up. We've been slowly building for the last four years, little by little by little. We've been taking one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. It's just been a, it's been a journey for us of endurance and perseverance and trusting God and resting in God's faithfulness over and over and over. And that might be what you're going through right now, where you are in small beginnings. And the Bible says, do not despise small beginnings because you don't know what God is doing inside of you. You don't know what God is preparing you to do. And face it, what if God's will for your life is to do something small, right? What if God's plan for your life is to do something that goes so deep and makes such an impact, but to the world, to the outside, it's not a big deal. The most important thing is that we are being faithful to what God is asking us to do. Nothing more nothing less. At the end of the day, God is not going to ask me about what he called somebody else to do. He, he is not going to hold me to another pastor's standard, right? All I can do, all you can do is be faithful with what God has given us and not despise those small beginnings that we often start out with. In closing, I want to end with the words of Jesus in Luke chapter number 16 and verse 10. And Jesus says this in one of his parables. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. 
So as we're closing today, I want you to remember it's so important that as we walk this journey of faith out, that we persevere in prayer, that we persevere in submission, and that we persevere in small beginnings. Let's allow the potter to do his work in our lives. Let's allow the potter to to mold and, and, and to shape and to form us into who he wants us to be. God is not asking us to be anybody else. God is not asking us to fulfill anyone else's dreams. God is asking us to be faithful to his calling and to his purpose in our lives. So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Be faithful with what God has given you. Be faithful with the small things. And when we're faithful with the small, he can trust us with more. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.